One Hope, it's so good to be together again this morning. I want to just dive straight in. I feel that God has given me something burning on my heart this morning. And I want to remind us that we are about to enter a season of Alpha, um, a season where we feel God has put a, a tool in our hands to reach those who don't know him if you're part of one hope and you're inviting people we are praying for you if you're one of the hosts and the helpers and there's so many of you it's just been overwhelming to see how the holy spirit is working in hearts and there's nervousness and there's angst but there's also excitement and joy as we hear stories of of god at work in people's lives who are far from him so you might be a host or a helper you might be one of the christians who don't have someone to invite right now or we invite you to come and Join us half past seven on Wednesday evenings. We're going to be doing Christian Alpha. We're going to be doing it as a discipleship tool for us as well. And so there's a place for everybody in this Alpha. But what I, what I want to come and remind us of as, as God has called me to lead this congregation and to pastor this congregation along with our eldership team, we feel that we are responding in this season not to just a, a strategic move or a COVID move, but we feel like we're responding to a deep shift in our hearts, a directive from God, a clear, fresh call to us as a church and that this is not just a 2020 vision. We said this right in the beginning of the year. We feel like God is coming to, to shift direction of One Hope for the future. We feel like He's coming to work on the culture of One Hope, to come and change what it is that we have traditionally focused on and that He's coming to give us new focus areas. And if we had to encapsulate all of that, We'd say that it's in this one phrase, God is calling us to expect more, expect more from Him. And it pleases Him that we come as children with faith and say, Father, we want more from You. We want more for our church. We want more for ourselves. We want more for those that we love that don't know You. And so in particular this year, it is felt that God has come to highlight for us the need to expect Him for more in regard to people who do not know Him, but who we probably already know. These are not new people, but they're not church people, but they are in our contacts on our phone. And so we are praying and crying out to God that He would help us to do that and teach us how to reorder and reculture and refocus our church. Let me say that another way. Let me say it from the other side. There's a growing dissatisfaction in our hearts that we can no longer be satisfied simply to babysit the body of Christ. We cannot babysit the saved and the growing Christian. And while we don't negate in any way the need to continue to disciple and to teach and to help believers grow up in faith, we are saying, God, we can no longer talk about mission in a way that is primarily about changing or teaching those who have already come to faith in Christ Jesus. When we talk about mission, when we say mission, when we discuss mission, when we have leadership meetings about mission or vision or goals or any of these things the primary area of conversation must surely be the importance must surely be on those who do not yet know Christ Jesus 
And so our, our job, whatever your spiritual gift is, whether you're called to leadership, whether you're called to preaching, whether you're called to hospitality, whether you're called to giving, whatever it is that you feel and you know that God is, is stirring in you as a gift for the body of Christ, our job is to biblically provoke one another. Whether I'm a preacher provoking you, encouraging you, challenging you from God's word, whether you're in hospitality and having conversations one-on-one -on -one with people where you're speaking to them about these things that are stirring in our hearts, we need to be reminded from God's word that this has always been His intent. And so in many ways, guys, this is, this is absolutely not a, a new spangly vision, a glittery vision of any sort that actually feels like a discipline of God, a discipline from God. It feels like God is, is coming in and correcting us as a church and bringing us back to what His mission has always been, what His focus has always been, what His heart has always been, and what His Word has clearly stated if we would only have eyes to see. Now, I just want to anticipate that I know that this language makes some of you shift in your seats very uncomfortably. Why are you messing with the church culture? We like it as it is. Uh, maybe you're secretly hoping that this is just a phase and it's just going to pass and you just have to kind of hold on tight and, and ride it out. Now, I want, to, I want to encourage you. I want to comfort you that we are going to lead you as gently and as carefully and as wisely and as lovingly as we know how. We're not trying to neglect those who have, who have faithfully been part of our church in any way, shape or form. But I do need to say to you that by God's grace, this focus, this shift is here to stay. feels like God has peeled back the layers and we can't go back. We can't go back. And so as we launch forward into this alpha season, my plea to you, one hope congregation, my plea to you is come with us. Come with us for your good. God is breathing on this. This is not a man-made strategy. I'm not asking for my sake. I'm asking for your sake. God wants to do beautiful things in and among us, exciting things in and among us and I'm asking you to let go of the apathy which which pulls so hard on our hearts and the comfort which wants to just make us stay right where we are and come on the journey with us let God come and blow our socks off he wants to teach us amazing things and I ask you to come and be a part of that journey for your sake God wants to do it in your heart all right so let's keep that in in mind that God is at work in one hope. And as we do that, let's turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to preach again out of this text this morning. And look at the example that Jesus gave of how to reach someone with the gospel. Of how Jesus went across divides and how he went into different areas, crossed Samaria, in order to bring the good news that he was the Messiah and that he's calling us to do the same thing. This is his mandate that we read about. And so we're going to learn this morning from the master himself, from Jesus himself, the wisest, most thoughtful, most amazing teacher that ever was. We're going to look in on his life and say, Jesus, teach us how to do this well. We want to know how to lead one hope 
well in this season. So let's read from verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And we, we spoke about this extensively last week, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, and this is going to be our key verse for today. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus carries on to say, yes, you've had five husbands and the man that you live with now is no longer your husband. She says, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet to know these things. And she, she asks some questions around temples and other things. And then she says to Jesus in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we come to your living word, would you speak to us just as you spoke to the Samaritan woman 2,000 odd years ago? Would you speak to us today? Show us why your heart is always for those who don't know you. Show us how we can be part of your mission, your plan to reach those who don't know you, but who long to know you. If they knew, if they knew who you were, would say, give me this living water. I need this living water. And yet how so often, Father, we never take your word to them. They never have that moment to respond where they really know who it is that is before them, the Messiah before them. And so as we come to your word, Lord, would you teach us, remind us, challenge us, grow us. If we don't know you this morning, we pray that you would rescue us, show us why we desperately need you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so our key verse for this morning is verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I, I was speaking about this with, with our staff and Charmaine. It's just this verse for her had just jumped out and she shared some thoughts out of this verse. And it just, it just gripped me. This, this pattern that we see in this verse 10. If you knew, if you knew, Jesus says, the gift of God. And if you knew who it was 
that was speaking to you, then the natural progression of that is that you would have asked him. You would have asked him. And then God, in his beautiful grace, Jesus says to her, and he would have given you living water. If you knew who it was, you would have asked him and he would have given. He would have opened his hand. He's a generous giving God. And so let's begin with this first little phrase. If you knew the gift of God. And in a sense, this text puts the question in front of us is, is how are we to let others know? If they knew, how are we part of letting others know about this Jesus Messiah? Jesus doesn't put it out there like a philosophical question to her. You know, like, oh, if only she knew or if only somebody else would go and explain to her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and then he proceeds to be the very hands and feet which explain to her what the gift of God is. He lets her know. He leads her and lets her know. Now let's let's look in on the master and learn for from him and pay attention for how we are able to or, or expected by God to reach people for him as well. Look at this number one. Jesus in his desire for her to know him is willing to cross social barriers. I don't want to spend much time on this. I spent a long time on this last week, how Jesus went so far beyond social norms. I want to ask simply the question, are we willing to get out of our comfort zones to talk to those about Christ who are different to us? That might mean they believe a different religion. It might mean that they are culturally different to us, that they are traditionally, they carry different traditions to us. It might be that they are socially in a different space to us. But what I want you to see is that Jesus happily, happily, joyfully crosses all of these barriers over and over and over again, not just here, but all through his ministry. Jesus is renowned for being the one who crosses the barriers that the religious people of the day would not cross. Why? Why did Jesus do that? Because he's gripped with this idea that they need to know. That they need to know. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God. The second thing Jesus does here is in his desire to reach her. He surfaces the deepest longings of her heart. In verse 13, we read Jesus saying to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. In that moment, he surfaces the real need of her heart. He says, it's not this, it's not this water that you really need. It's not the five men that you're chasing after and now the sixth man that you're living with that you really need. These are not the things. These things can't satisfy you, even though they may temporarily bring some sort of fix or plaster to the wound of your heart. They can't actually satisfy you. He carries on and he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, they will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus promises her in this moment a way out from the never ending cycle of thirst that she is 
trapped in. He's pointing to her deepest longings, her deepest heart's desires, the deepest dissatisfaction of her, of her heart. And last week we used this, this quote from Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, the Christian philosopher, who said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart and God alone can fill it. And Jesus is saying to her, oh, if, if only you knew... You can drink from a fountain where it never runs dry, as the, as the hymnist wrote. You can drink from a, a well that springs up inside of you and it just springs over a spring again and again, feeding your soul. And you're no longer trapped in this never-ending cycle of earthly thirst. Let me ask you, do you think that your friends, that my friends, our family, really know this about Jesus? Do they really know this about Jesus? Thirdly, Jesus in his pursuit of her heart and trying to show her who he really is, Jesus offers her soul satisfying eternal life. Everyone is so tired of the temporary the longer you live, the more you realize how broken down the world is, how broken down we are. That it's not them out there, it's them out there, but it's also us in here. It's me just as much as the out there. And we long, I feel a longing in my heart and an increased stirring as I get older for things of eternity. Soul satisfying eternal life. Jesus doesn't just surface the deepest longings of her heart and then say well good luck satisfying those good luck now we just brought all this to the surface i'm so glad now you know what you what you really long for well good luck with that or some kind of laugh at her instead jesus surfaces the deepest longing and provides the solution the soul satisfying eternal life the gift that this woman needs the gift that every friend or family member who doesn't know jesus christ needs in their life so what is this gift it's fascinating that jesus changes they're standing at this well and the, and the metaphors that he uses throughout this whole story are metaphors of of water and yet jesus changes it he contrasts it not to a well but he says eternal life is rather like a spring it's like a spring that's that's rising up inside of us and and this is so important because salvation what he's trying to explain to her is just like a spring it's not like a well it's like something that is inside of us and we don't need to travel somewhere or to some other place or be inside of a church right in your home right now god puts a spring inside of us and it's springs up a new heart an indwelling spirit he says no longer will there be these temples that you have to go and worship at no you're going to worship God from inside of you in spirit and truth it's going to spring up inside of you not only that but salvation just like a spring bubbles up with life you don't have the arduous task of going to draw water from this 30, 40, 50 meter deep well. You've got to, you've got to drop down heavy buckets and pull them back up in this huge effort, which is like trying to follow the law or legalism. He says that it bubbles up with life and this gift of salvation carries its own energy, its own life and it bubbles out. It's apparent to those around us. 
that they also see the spring of living water pulsating out of our lives. It's so much more like a spring than a well. Just like a spring bubbling up inside of us, it offers us daily satisfaction. As Jesus had surfaced the deepest longings of her heart. The reason that we go after things in the world is not because we just want to sin. It's because we're longing for something. We're desperate for something. And so we place our hope and our, our, our desire for satisfaction on other things. It might be men, it might be women, it might be wealth, it might be our family, it might be an addiction of some sort, whatever it is. Ultimately, we're all crying out for this vacuum in our hearts. And Jesus comes and says the most amazing thing. He says, I'm going to put a spring inside of you and it's going to spring up inside of you. And every day you can drink and drink and drink of the soul satisfying salvation that leads to eternal life. In other words, the spring is never going to run dry. And I don't know about you, but when I've tried to place my hope in anything other than God, it lasts for a while. For a while, it feels like, yes, I've, I've found something satisfying. But then over time, it becomes stale and old. And the way it used to satisfy me, I try to pretend that it still is. I try to keep a brave face on and smile and laugh through it and, and hope that some, somehow it's going to go back to that satisfying place. But deep in my heart, I know that the satisfaction that I had from that is gone forever. Jesus says, I'm going to place in you a spring welling up, welling up to eternal life. It's never going to run out forever satisfying how will they know how will they know what this gift of life is if we don't cross these barriers if we don't help to see the deepest longings of their hearts if we don't bring them to a place where they see the messiah isn't this the most incredible gift on offer for us if only they knew and God sent Jesus so that this woman would know and God today sends us and so let's return to verse 10 Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink and the next part that I, I want to focus in on is the is the who it is who it is that we bring people to you see the the gift of God that is on offer here to this woman is not ultimately a what it's not an, an abstract idea or a philosophy or a system of beliefs or a code of morality or law keeping no that the ultimate gift of God is not a what it's a who and when Jesus in verse 26 says to her I am the Messiah I who speak to you am he I'm this Messiah you're waiting for he reveals himself as the living water as the fountain that will bubble up to eternal life Jesus is the fulfillment of the who of the promise and so friends our job 
as Christ followers is simply to lead others to the Messiah, to lead them to the who. I love the freedom that this thought brings, that our job is simply to tell people who it is that is the Messiah. We see it here in the text. Look at how she responds in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar. I love that. She doesn't need this water anymore. She just leaves it there. I don't care about this earthly water. I've been given eternal water. I'm drinking from a new spring. And so she goes and she says, she went away into town and said to the people, come, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And all she had to do, the simplicity is just so beautiful. That all she had to do was say, come, this is what he's done in my life. Look at what he's done in my life. Maybe he's the Christ. Come and see. And she brings them not to a what, but to Jesus, the Messiah, the who. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so we come to our third point for this morning. You would have asked him, Jesus said, if you knew who it was, you would have asked him and I wonder how many would turn to Christ how many of our friends and family would turn to Christ if we truly put before them who it was that Jesus is and if they knew we see in this text this woman she does she does as soon as she begins to realize in verse 15 it says the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have have to keep coming here to draw water and and she doesn't quite get it i mean it's humorous she she wants this she wants what god has to offer her but she's still confused and she's not quite sure and she thinks it's to do still with earthly things but jesus has surfaced in her the longing in her heart and she is she's asking she's responding and she's saying sir i need what you have i want what you have i'm no longer satisfied with this earthly water or with my earthly life anymore and i'm increasingly convinced one hope church one hope i'm i'm convinced that the problem is not where we think the problem is the problem with is not in the biblical language with the harvest with those who don't yet know christ see what jesus says as he teaches his disciples in in verse 35 he says to them do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest look I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. In other words, don't think another generation will tell them or another revival is coming and then they'll know. Don't say, no, it's in in four months time. He's saying, no, it's now. It's now, One Hope Church, the harvest is white. Look at Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, he says to his followers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his 
harvest. They, those who don't know Christ, the Samaritan woman in the story, they are waiting. They are willing. They are desperate. Everywhere we look, people are desperate for Jesus and for his, the love that he offers. They just don't know it. They're trying to reach out into anything that can just help them to float. They don't know that what they need is the love of Jesus. And we, the church, need to stop. Stop saying that it's them. Stop saying that it's otherwise to what Jesus is saying. Jesus clearly states it's the laborers who are few. We are the reluctant. We are the ones who don't want to take the love and the light of Jesus into the world and we need to pray and ask God to so change our hearts and so remind us of what he has done in giving us living water that it bursts out of the four walls of our churches and out of the the safe little spaces of our lives and the comfortable way that we've put our social life together or our, our, our little lives and our family life together needs to burst out of those things we need to ask God to that we would be in the places where Jesus would have been hanging out with the kind of people that Jesus hung out with while he was here on this earth not just hanging out with our mates endlessly cycling with them playing golf with them having bras with them and never telling them about Christ but using those opportunities to tell them about this gift this salvation this this spring welling up to eternal life that they can have just as this Samaritan woman Jesus is saying to her here is the gift Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and she does. And he would have given you living water. This is our final point as we close this morning. That he would give, he is wanting to give living water to those who are seeking him. This is what Jesus does for her and she leaves her jars and she runs back she has this new water she has this spring of living water coming bubbling into her life and she knows it the bible says that if we knock the door is opened the bible says that if we seek we find the bible says that god's heart is that all would know him that all would come to him John 3.16, I'm sure you've heard it before. This is what it says. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his son, that whoever believes, everyone who believes, may have eternal life. This is the heart of God. I love in this story how personal Jesus is. How he knows the details of her life and even around her sin and even around him calling her to ask for forgiveness or to realize her need for repentance and forgiveness before God. He is so gentle. He's so gentle with her. On one of our last alphas, in fact, the very last alpha that just finished a few months ago, there's a young man, Jacobus. He's going to tell you his story in a moment. And Jacobus is searching for God and he understands something of Christianity, but not really. He hasn't quite got what it is that it means that God wants to, the gift that God wants to give him. And in a moment of prayer, Bates feels the Holy Spirit tell him something about Jacobus, a, a, a physical thing about Jacobus that just 
unlock something new and fresh in Jacobus's life as he understands more of this kind of care that God wanted to give him living water. Here's the story in Jacobus's words. So, um, yeah, Jacobus and I were part of the past Alpha Online that's just happened. And uh, we had a really cool experience, uh, a moment of prayer during one of the sessions we had. I think it was on Does God Heal Today? Do you remember, Jacobus? Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah so several people um, in the group had shared prayer requests. As we were praying, I had this real sense that Jacobus had something wrong with his ankle. <laughs> it seemed very specific, I must say. So I was like, okay. Uh, was honestly a little bit nervous to share it. But then I just thought to myself, well, what's the worst that can happen? Yokuba says, no, I apologize for maybe getting it wrong and still get a chance to pray for him in general. So I thought, well, let me just, let me just go for it, you know. So basically, Yokuba, I get the sense that um, you have an injury and I think it might be your ankle and I'd love to pray for it um, for healing and Jacobus, your response was incredible but yeah maybe you could just explain a little bit of what was going on behind the scenes with you in that moment first off the the prayer request i was still like a bit nervous about like being open about that saying anything at that day i was like okay i don't really have anything to to ask for for prayer i had an injury but it was actually just a small ankle injury and it was a bit painful but i was like okay cool it's not nothing to ask for a prayer request about after Josh had prayed for someone, he just asked, is there anything I can pray for for your, for your ankle, maybe specifically your right ankle? I was like, how do you know this? Uh, like I've told <laughs> no one, it's not something to talk about. It was just something small. And I was just completely blo- like, how, how did he find out? Like <laughs> I was just, blo- my mind was just blown first of that. Sure. And he's like, oh, yes, I actually, I actually have an uh, ankle injury. I twisted my ankle and it's been in pain for like a month now. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. How, how did you know? But then I started processing it and then I then realized, you know, that God or the Holy Spirit can still directly speak with you or through someone else like bait mm-hmm. to reach out to someone like me, I, even on such a small, small thing. Yeah. That was just amazing to be a part of and to, yeah. to witness. I've heard stories about it happening in the past, but mm. I thought like, ah, yo, it might be made up. I don't know if it will happen, ever happen to me, but that just gave me that next level of faith and sure. belief in Christ. That's so awesome. And it was so beautiful to be part of that moment with you, Jacobus, and just see God um, speaking. <laughs> um, yeah. As you say, like I had no idea of anything that was um, wrong with your ankle. It was that's why those nerves were there. I was like, this seems a little bit crazy, but it's just so, so beautiful how God's not just a concept and kind of, uh, you know, something to be thought about, but he can really be experienced. Like we can, we can know him in our everyday real life experience. During the Alpha, my, I, I told the group that my view is more an overarching view of he's, he wants you to, to be a Christian. He wants you to, to be the best Christian you can be, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just about, okay, do you believe in, in God and do you, do you serve him? That's the essence of it. It doesn't matter about the small details, like what job you do, uh, what sport you do, all these little things. It's, you can pray for it, but it's, mm. it, at the end, it doesn't really matter and it, you won't have real influence on that. Sure. But then through this ankle injury and you coming out and praying for it, like uh, I really saw that he focuses on all the small details in your life mm. and he's always there for you. 
every step of the way and sometimes you just don't know if i yeah learned something about you over alpha especially in the starting few weeks it felt to me like you experienced christianity as quite a self-improvement kind of method i guess in a way and it yes, seemed definitely. to me like by the end it was my wait this is actually relationship this is deep friendship and intimacy and community uh, with my father in heaven uh, kind of more than a self-improvement thing with some you know, power from God to do that, um, which exactly. is beautiful. And I've actually just in some of our other conversations experienced that. And it's, it's awesome to see, man. Your whole uh, mindset shifts as you move through Alpha. Yeah, like you said, from yeah. self-improvement on my side to this relationship, this community. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a cool thing to be a part of. Awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. Eh? Oh, man, Jakubus, this makes me so excited <laughs> for me Alpha too, Cover. Yeah, come on. I'm very excited. Isn't that incredible that God knows something that no earthly knowledge could give Bates and yet Bates by the Holy Spirit is able to do that and how God connects that just like he does with this woman where Jesus has a knowledge from the Father that she's had five husbands and now the man she lives with isn't even her husband and in that moment it unlocks something of who God is and that God knows this woman Jacobus you and I those we're reaching out to God knows them knows everything about them and that even in the tiny little things of our lives he cares he cares just makes me realize over and over again how willing God the Father is that He does everything to give us this living water. This is just one little story of, of Him doing that in Jacobus' life, how He brings this living water into our lives. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Friends, let me finish off with saying that this is exactly what God has done. If you go and read Philippians chapter 2, you'll see there's something called the Messiah poem. And it's a succinct um, summary of Jesus' life, how he was pressed into human form and came and lived among us and was crucified and now he's exalted and, and everyone will one day understand and know that he is the Messiah that he says he is. But this is exactly what God has done. This John 4 verse 10. If they knew, if they only knew and God says, how can they know? I'm going to, I'm going to send Jesus. Let's send Jesus. Let him go and, and show them. Who is it? If they only knew who it was that asked for living water and Jesus in that moment is the living Messiah. But today he does the same thing. We see in the flesh who God is. I remember on, on Alpha about four years ago, one of my friends, uh, I said to him as we were talking around our table, what does God need to do? What, what could God do that would show you that he's real and that would convince you to actually follow him? And my friend said to me, I wish he just came down from heaven and was like a big transformer guy and was like, I am God, follow me. And I, I laughed in that moment and I said to my friend, don't you see the irony of your statement? That's exactly what he's done. He came down, Emmanuel, God, with us he actually sent Jesus to live among us to dwell among us to be touched to be killed by by us 
And because of that, we can ask him. We can ask him and say, give me this living water. I'm so tired of this earthly water that I'm drinking. Give me this living water. And he's no longer far off. He's no longer in temples made by hands of man. Now he springs up in us. We worship him in spirit and truth in a daily relationship kind of way. And then his promise is that he would give her living water. And we see that his promise is exactly the same to us every single time that we ask God. He fulfills this promise to give us the living water inside of us, becoming a, a spring welling up in us. And this, this is the God, this God who sent his son, if they knew who it was, they would have asked and I would have given them. Who sent, This is the God that we run back into our city with one hope. We run back into our workplace. We run back to our families who don't know Christ. We run, run back to our universities, to the campuses. And we say, I met a man. I have met a man who told me everything about my life. Everything about my life. And he knew it all, but he still accepted me. He still said, son. He still said, daughter. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? And let's give the last word this morning to verse 42 of John chapter 4. The people of the town said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Our job is to bring them to Jesus, bring them to the who, let them know His job, and He does it every time, is that when they ask Him, He reveals Himself. He gives them living water. Friends, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. I hope God's word has spoken deep into your heart this morning. We'll see you again next week. God bless you.